bring us our reading from Psalm 19, and then Hoven is going to come and speak to us. Yeah, this morning's reading is Psalm 19. It can be found on page 552 in the Church Bibles. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I just turn, turn the mic down while I bend its neck? Good morning. I'd, I'm really looking forward to sharing this psalm with, with you, and I, and I wonder whether you'd whether you'd sort of uh, work with me on it. I think if this if this psalm means anything, it's telling us that in our lives and in our worship, we are not spectators, but we are participants. We are we are involved, and what we do matters. And one of the things that we'll be doing is listening and listening is very important may may god bless us in our listening but i'm going to ask you to do more than listen this this morning if that's okay i'm going to ask you to to work with me so at various points i'm going to ask you to talk to at least one other person now if you're lucky enough to have somebody right next to you or just in front of you or just behind you you could conveniently share a few words with for a couple of minutes and if you can think who that person might, might be, so we don't, you know, that, 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 will, that will be great. 
And if between the two of you, you've got at least one Bible, that would be even better. And if you haven't, well, just take a minute now to wander around. There's some, is it, there are some Bibles at the back. Does anybody need a Bible? John's on the case. Okay. Now, if you've got the Bible and you've, you've, you can find the, the page for today's reading, which is 552, I can just about see it with my bad eyesight. I'd like us to use the, 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 the last verse, which is in fact on page 553 of the Church Bibles, as a little prayer. Because we're all going to be thinking, and at some point, God willing, we'll all be saying something, so we can say this as our prayer for this morning. Please say say it with me. It's verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, thank you for indulging me in that little start. Now then, what I'm going to do now is take a, a, a little break for a couple of minutes. I'm going to go and have a drink of water. And what I'd like you to do is just to cast your eye over this, this psalm. It's 14 verses, and uh, yeah, it's, I, I just have a, just, just, I'm asking you really about the lie of the land. Can you see a shape in this psalm? Can you pick out any major landmarks? Does it have any you know, g- changes of gear? Don't worry too much about every single detail. It's just the, the main shape. And please say something to the person next to you if it's only, what on earth is he talking about? But I'll, I'll come back to you in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Well, th- thank you very much for uh, just having a go at that. That's, that's, that, that's the end of our first little uh, bit of looking at the Bible. We, we will turn, turn back to it. And I know for one or two that was really confusing and didn't, didn't know where to begin, really. 
but thank you for having a go because you always have to start somewhere and we have to start where we are that's absolutely fine now you you tell me what you thought the kind of beginning of the story was where, where does it start so the, there's a, the the opening bit is all about declaring isn't it and it's 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 very much a, a sort of a powerful statement did anybody get get a sort of a, sh a sense of a shape in the whole psalm could you could you say well it's really making two points or it's really in three bits or really in four bits can you see a kind of a lie of the land it definitely mentions the, the right way to live and that's that's the kind of heart of, of the whole thing John were you going to say something yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, and I, th I think I think I'd, I'd I'd go with that. That although there are many lines and many verses, it, it it does fall into a shape that has three parts, and that that's the way I've I've got it here. Here's here's my take on it. Verses one to six is really section one, and that's the declaring bit, and then there's a quite a sharp contrast with section two that begins in verse verse seven the style of writing is different the, the the perspective is different the person's looking at something from a different point of view uh, but then that kind of blends kind of more naturally it's not such a sudden change that it kind of blends halfway through a verse halfway through verse 12 can you see that it changed the, the the psalmist changes the way that he's talking He's not talking to himself or to us anymore. He's talking to God now. And it happens halfway through a sentence. As he's been thinking about these things, he can, he, you know, a response is building up, and then it comes out in this prayer that he begins to, to pray. And that brings the whole psalm to its fitting conclusion. The, the story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we use that end, verse 14. So it has these, these very... That clear three sections at least that's one way of looking at it I'm not, I'm not knocking any other way of looking at it I think one to six we could call that section one seven to the beginning of verse 12 is section two so that's the declaring bit and that's the how to live a right life bit and then section three is actually a prayer and the whole thing is summed up in that final uh, response uh, at the end of verse 14 can you take a couple of minutes now just to have a, have a look at those three, three sections? And here, here's the question I want to ask you. Uh, if, if you had to give each title a section, now I know we've, 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 we've given them a kind of a, a prototype title. What, what title would you give each section? And if I, if I ask you a harder question, or maybe a harder question, if you had to summarize, summarize, the, the, the meaning of that section in a few words what would you say third question then. if you had to get it down to one word one word that captures the gist of that section what would it be maybe that's the most important question
And if you'll excuse me breaking in again, I'm, I'm going to cut in there. And great, great just to hear the, the buzz of people chatting. And, and most people felt happy with the idea that it was three, three sections and were able to pull out uh, a word that kind of summarized what, what they thought was at the heart of the character of that section. That's, that's really good, actually. So can I, I hope it's not embarrassing to say, Nikki, could you say what your thoughts were on that? Yeah. Yeah. So that so one way of looking at it is to say that the first section is very much about nature and creation, and it contains dis, dis, descriptions, and through that the glory of God is being declared. The second section is a series of statements about the law of God that are really about the character of God, about what what God is like. That's very true, actually. And the third bit is, is that the person's response saying, how can I be more like you? That, that really is the shape of this side. That's absolutely right, really. So I was saying to Nikki, she can get up and finish off and give, give a little conclusion. Be good, that one, really. Uh, but can I, again, particularly thank people who are not used to doing this, who've had a go at it. I, I really do appreciate that. And I know it's, that's, that can be very, very hard so everything that you thought and everything that you said or wanted to say, well, God, God bless you with, with that. Thank, thank you for taking part. Now, the way, the way I sort of try to give a title to each section was to think, what is this person doing? And I, I you know, as you do as an old-fashioned style preacher, you try and find three words that all begin with the same letter because that makes them easy to, to remember. So if I lose my notes, at least I've got a vague idea of what to say, you know. So I said, um, first of all, the person's receiving. As they, as they look at the world around them, they're receiving a message about the glory of God. And then in the second section, they are reflecting. They're turning something over and over in their mind. They're deliberately thinking about something and, and breaking it down step by step, look, like looking at the facets of a jewel. They're reflecting. And then thirdly, they are responding outwardly, expressing in a prayer all the thoughts and feelings that have been building up while they've been receiving the message and reflecting on uh, the uh, Bible truth. Now, I was going to ask another question there, but I, th I th go on, ask it anyway. Can you take another minute to think, okay, we've got our three three sections and we may have half answered this but what would you say are the links or connections between them in what ways if any are they connected
It is a bit of an open-ended question, that, isn't it, really? So I'm, I'm not sure that there's a single right answer to this. That there, there might be lots of bits that, that we could say. I'm just going to um, invite, chosen at random, Ian, to say something. <laughs> Go on, just, just expand on that. Yeah, yeah. Because he's receiving a message, so he's, somebody's communicating to, to him. He's reflecting on it, so he's trying to get deeper into whatever he's been given in the, in the law. And then he's communicating back to God. And communicate's an interesting word because it's, it's always a two-way thing. There's a communion in communication. It's a way of linking two people together so that what's in the mind and heart of one can arrive in the mind and heart of the other. Have we got any other burning thoughts to share on links between these different sections? No. One nice idea was, because there are these different sections that form a balance, together it makes a whole, and it's like a song. Because it is a song, of course, and every song tells a story. So the, the parts belong together, and although they're a little bit different, putting them together makes a, a whole. I look at it this way, that what the guy is receiving is coming from the world around him. It's outside. What he's reflecting on is all to do with inner character. It's about the inside life. And the response comes from inside. So that the sections do, do belong together. Okay. By profession, I'm a teacher. You'd never have guessed that, would you? You'd, you'd never have guessed that. So see, see me afterwards, if in doubt. But, um, yeah, I think the psalmist is responding inwardly all the time. But it only gains an expression to another person, in this case to God, in that final uh, section. Though actually he's expressing it to us all the time. So it is, it is being expressed uh, to his readers. And just in that first section, one to six, when he's see, seeing the, you know, the stars and the sun and the, the wonder of creation, he's able to respond to that appreciatively. He really likes it. He thinks it's great. He says it speaks to him of the glory of God. Glory isn't boring. It's wonderful. He sees something wonderful in the stars and the planets and in the sunshine. And that speaks to him of somebody who is even more wonderful. And he also uh, is able to respond imaginatively. Now, we often think that the Barbarites were really primitive, old-fashioned people. Well, they were people who lived thousands of years ago. Uh, but they were very poetic and creative in their way. And he responds imaginatively to the experience of seeing the sun move across the sky like a bridegroom coming out of his pavilion, a person with everything to be happy about, like an athlete running his course. And he's got a, a sense of joy and, and of uh, power in, in seeing the sun and feeling its warmth. He's responding appreciatively and imaginatively, poetically really, to what he sees around him. And we need a bit of that if we're going to respond to the glory of God. If life is just boring and there's nothing that we have a sense of wonder about, we're not ready to worship God. One of my students said to me this, this week, I don't like science. I was crestfallen. 
I didn't know quite what to do, really, at that moment. Um, I, did, I did try in the next lesson. I, I did a, a silly demonstration where I climbed onto a desk and dropped things and, you know, fell off myself and all sorts of things to try and say it's, it's great to have a childlike wonder about this amazing world in which we live. And I, I, I'm, for me as a Christian, that's, that's part of my response to God, enjoying and being amused and amazed by the world that we live in is a starting point for worship. And if we're bored by life and we're not able to experience joy in anything, well, we'll lack real starting points for worship. We'll be less able to appreciate the glory of God. Section two, he's reflecting. And he's thinking now not, not about the world of cre creation, but about the law that came to the Jewish people through the prophet Moses and changed their whole way of life. In fact, it was through that that they really began to think of themselves as a proper nation. And as we read those few verses, 7 through to 12a, he's reflecting continually. He's doing something over and over again. And he's also reflecting personally. He's reflecting about things that affect our inner life. And that's because of what he believes the law of God is. It's not just a set of rules that tell us what to do and what not to do. It's a revelation of who God is and who God is like. Now, some of my students, sorry, no, some of my students, and maybe you too, and we can all be influenced by this in the society in which we live, think that the most powerful words in the world have four letters in them. They do. Uh, but... Actually, in this psalm is the most powerful four-letter word in our universe, or even outside our universe. Now, did you notice that the psalmist speaks differently about God in section 1 to section 2? Did you notice that? Now, of course, people who do, who do sort of Bible study type, type things will, will, will be sort of trained to notice that. Uh, but did you notice that it's a different word that he uses? In verse 1, it's just God. But in verse 7, it's... And do you notice that Lord is not written with capital L and small o? It's written... They're all capitals. Now, do you, do you know why the Bible translations do that? Well, Norman does, so he, he can tell us. Indeed, yes. God gave the Hebrew people a special name with which to worship him, and he also gave them a special meaning that that, that, that name had. And they, they wrote that name in their texts as four letters, or at least that's what's come, come down to us. And it's usually put in English as Y-H-W-H, with no vowels in it. And they had all sorts of traditions about not using that word because it was too holy or sometimes putting vowels in it from other words and so on. And if you've, if you've heard the word Jehovah, that, that's a version of that four-letter name of God uh, with non-Hebrew letters and the wrong vowels in. So everybody knows that Jehovah is not, is not the, you know, the name of God that they used, but it represents that. And when we have that in our Bibles, we kind of follow the Jewish tradition uh, that Jesus would have followed, of, as far as we can tell, of, of not actually pronouncing the special name of God, but when it was there in the text, they would say, Lord, 
and that they'll express their reverence for God. That might seem a bit odd to us, but it was so wonderful and so special, they didn't want to overuse it. So they saw it and they said another word instead. So our translations use the word Lord for the special name of God, but it puts it, puts it in capital letters so we know it's there. Now I wanted to make a little uh, point about this, with, hopefully without going on for too, too long, about why this was so important for the Jews and for the psalmist. See, the psalmist is, is thinking about his inner life and the laws reveal what God is like and what he wants me to be like. Did, did you, I mean, does it surprise you if I say God is holy? Does that seem a surprising thing to say? It doesn't. It's the kind of thing that we hear all the time, isn't it, really? There's the vision of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Did you know that the word holy occurs once in the book of Genesis? And it doesn't occur again until Exodus. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Did you, did you know that? Holy, sanctify, sanctified means to, to make holy. Only occurs once in the book of Genesis. I'll leave it at home if you can find out where it is. But what that reminds us is God did not reveal the true character of his holiness to all the people who believed in him in the book of Genesis. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Joseph. He revealed his holiness through the prophet Moses to the people after they'd been brought out of Egypt. And that was something completely new. And when he gave them this special name with which to worship him, he said to them, this is who I am, this is what I am like, and I am calling you to be like me. I didn't say this to the people who were before you. Maybe Abraham couldn't have lived up to it. Maybe it would have, it would have been too much for him. But God says to Moses and the people who heard him, I am calling you to be like me, and this is who I am, this is what I'm like. In fact, if you know the story of the burning bush, the first time the word holy comes back into the experience of the Bible reader is the voice that speaks to Moses. Take off your shoes, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Did Moses know what holy meant? Well, he found that. Holy means special, it means different, it means set apart for a special purpose. And what God was saying through his law to the people of Israel, and I believe to us if we're willing to receive it, is that God says, I want to show you who I am and what I'm like, what I feel and what matters to me, why I made the world and why I put you in it. And I want you to play a special role in expressing that in this life. And as I call you to be my people, that means each of you has to be my person and you have to know me for yourselves. And if you enter into that bargain, and God made a bargain with the people of Israel through the prophet Moses, if you enter into that bargain, you must understand that your life is now different. It has a special purpose. You can't get involved in the things that the people around you get involved in. You can't think the way they think or speak the way they think, uh, speak or do the things that they do if that cuts across my purpose for you. You must be different if you're going to live out my special 
purpose. God didn't say that to Abraham in, in that full way. He said it through the prophet Moses. And so the psalmist looks at the law of God not as a set of rules. Now, when do I pay my taxes and where do I park my camel? And, you know, should we have double yellow lines through the middle of the road in Jerusalem? Uh, what, 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 what he looks at it for is, what does this tell me about the character of God? What does this tell me about the kind of person I should be? You know, it doesn't matter that some of the rules are for a society that we don't live in. It doesn't matter that they're written to people who lived thousands of years ago. Because the character of God is the same. And we can look into these laws and experience that just as the psalmist did. Now, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm testing your, your concentration there by going on. and I, am, I, I accept I am a boring person. But uh, the, what the psalmist is, is doing in verses 7 onwards is trying to concentrate on what he believes God is saying in a very particular way by thinking thought after thought after thought that is kind of going in the same direction but each one is just a little bit different so he's contemplating or meditating on the, the character of the law of God one way to do that as we, as we read the passage is just to read a statement Nicky says it's a, it's a series of statements read a statement and then pause and then think, what does that mean to me? Or can I imagine how that would work in my life? Can I imagine how my life would be different if this worked out better? Can I imagine a scene or a situation where I would behave or feel or want something different to what I do now in comparison to this verse? If you'll indulge me a little bit longer, if, if I may. You, you can't say no, of course. I'm just going to read those verses and sort of improvise a paraphrase of each statement. And I want you to just imagine what that might mean for you, if you can. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Am I losing my energy in life? If I really hear God, I'll have energy and strength for today and for tomorrow. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Do I really understand what matters in life? Really? Fully? I need to get closer to God to see what matters to him. He will show me everything that I need to know to make the wise decision. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Does the future seem blank, boring or bleak or a particular situation that we can't work through? If we understand how God can work in us and through us, we'll be able to make our choices with joy. The heart is where we choose what we most want to commit ourselves to. We can do that with joy. We can choose a course of action that we can really believe in if it's in tune with God's word. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. We might think we know what our life is about and what really matters. It doesn't hurt us to say, Lord, show me the things that I haven't seen yet, so I can see more clearly. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. So many things around us actually are rotten. They may seem tasty and fun at the time, but they're going to rot and decay. They won't last. 
They're destructive, actually, no matter how good they seem at the time. But the fear of the Lord is so pure, there's no rottenness in it. It will never go off or go bad. It is always everlastingly good. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold. When we hear God speak, we can absolutely rely on that and build our life on it. And any other course is foolishness. So finally, our psalmist responds to all that he's been thinking and saying and mulling over. And he responds in faith and he responds in honesty. And, and the two things actually go side by side. And in fact, I'd like to say, Ken, as, as we look at these, these last few verses, that uh, the, the faith that the psalmist has in God has got two sides, like two sides of a coin. And if I went to the shop with my pound coin and it was only printed on one side, they wouldn't accept it because it wouldn't be real. The coin needs to have two sides. The first side is personal trust. Just look at the last line. Lord, my rock, I rely on you, my redeemer. You're the one who rescues me from the things that are bringing me down. There's personal trust. In fact, just praying, the guy obviously thinks that God is willing and able to answer the, the prayer. That's an expression of personal trust. But you know, the, the other side of the coin is a sincere commitment. This guy is committed to God personally and sincerely. He calls himself, or he speaks about, uh, the servant of God. Verse 11, by them is your servant warned. And as he thinks about that, he, he asks for forgiveness. And in his prayer, he says, keep your servant also from willful sins. Who's, who's that? That's himself. The purpose of my life, for all its imperfections, for all its incompleteness, Lord, I've... Lord Yahweh God, I've entered into the covenant with you. I'm your person there. Whatever anybody else is doing, I want to do the things that please you. I know I can't do it perfectly. I recognize that. But I really, really want to. So I want you to help me to live that kind of life. And if there's anything about my life that maybe I don't even know about yet or I don't fully recognize as getting in the way, I want you to show it to me because I want to get rid of it. And those times when I just say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, just help me to have a bit more thought in those times so that I always act as your servant because in my heart of hearts, that's what I really want to do. Welcome back. Can I just stress that before we finish, that the faith that we offer God has got to have those two sides. Of course, we should ask God for the things that we need when we need them. But if we only ask God for the things that I want, that is a one-sided relationship, friends. Jack and Heather are entering into marriage. And marriage is, is like a covenant. It's like this sort of commitment. People should not enter marriage to get what the one person wants, but equally to give what the other person needs and requires and would benefit from. That's how a covenant works. It's a commitment as well as a trusting relationship. And so God calls us to be committed to him as well as to trust him.
Just in conclusion, can we pray together? And if you've got a Bible, have you got a Bible? Have a Bible. Let's use that, that prayer together, verse 14. Let's sincerely pray that to God, that today and every day, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.